Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground. Alternative activists, empowerment, talk radio. Speaking truth to power and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro. That's nothing. What were you before the white man mean you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? I am a revolutionary. It's about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. African descent family, America failed. She put them in chains. The government put them on slave quarters, put them on action block, auction blocks, put them in cotton fields, put them in inferior schools, put them in substandard housing, put them in scientific experience, experiments, put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law, kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education, and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. matters. Transforming truth truth to power. power. One One broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Folks, uh, that we got to be careful now when we talk about any one particular place in the United States. All over, uh, we've seen uh, intense oppression. I'm, I'm from Detroit initially, and we've seen a lot of oppression there historically as well as currently. New York has certainly seen its share. Uh, Washington, D.C. has seen its share. So we don't want to be like people on different plantations arguing about which plantation is worse. Uh, what we have to do is, contract, is, is to correct the whole problem, and we're about correcting the problem here in Jackson, and we're going to be inviting people to come here, and people want to come here uh, in order to participate in the struggle forward. And this is not a phony struggle. We're not just putting a false face 
Uh, we, we, we tell you we've had real problems. We still have some real problems, but we're solving these problems, and we're going to try to solve a lot of them through economic development, which is going to involve the masses of the people, not just a few folks. That majority of people are struggling here. A lot of people are struggling here, and I think that is where you hit a point that's just most right for change. And you see it in society everywhere. When people are, excuse my language, but catching hell, that is when people decide, you know what, anything is better than this. <laughs> I'll take a chance, I'll take a risk, I'll step out there, I'll try something, because it got, it has to be something better than this. And um, and I think that's the importance of this conference. I think the importance of this conference is looking at the house, too, looking at the barriers, and looking at how we engage the community. Just given the nature of the community, you know, and how it's still connected in the ways a lot of organic in a lot of ways. Communities have been systematically dismantled in this country the past 50 years. That's not the case in Jackson. You know, there there's still folks you know, they're they're just graduated from college and their parents live here, their grandparents live here. You know, they're still living in the same house that they were born in. You know, you still have a lot of that uh, that you just don't find in a lot of other communities. So, uh, that's a political advantage for a social movement like ours. The Black Liberation Movement that has been ongoing. The civil rights movement, you know, started back, what, in the 50s and has not stopped, okay? Um, the issues that were relevant to oppressed people, be they workers or black or gay or what have you, those issues um, still remain very much pertinent today. This is a moment we should all be proud of. It's absolutely critical that we have uh, uh, conferences and, and opportunity to fellowship and learn from one another like this this particular conference presents. Um, you know, we are dealing with the immediate needs here in Jackson, Mississippi, but Jackson must serve, in our opinion, as an as an as a model, as an example for the rest of the world as in terms of what, you know, cooperative economics, uh, you know, a cooperative genius can provide. I think that's something that's lost on most civil rights activists and just lost on the general public as a whole. And I think that's something that needs to be reminded that it's something that's old, but just with a new twist, and it's something that is sustainable. Because a lot of times we don't have things, particularly in Mississippi, that's sustainable in terms of developing our people, giving them the skill sets, and also providing a way for them to build wealth um, for a long term um, or something built to last. So I think that's what this new economy's conference is really about. That's what this uh, Jackson conference is really about. I think this conference is a space that we can put our heads together and say, you know, we understand what the barriers are. How do we support each other in removing those barriers? Um, how do we, and how do we not just do it in pockets? How do, and, and I understand that, you know, what we're trying to do, we're trying to build what we're trying to build in Jackson, but we understand this connection to Chicago. We understand this connection to Los Angeles. We understand this connection to um, New York. And we understand that, you know, it's a Second thing, uh, in terms of this strategy, was building an independent political force, an independent political party. Now, why is that important? So, there's some particularities to Mississippi that folks should also know. Uh, in the 1960s, uh, there was an experiment that happened in Mississippi, which most people think ended, but it actually didn't. 
There was a challenge to the official Democratic Party delegation in 1964, which wound up leading to the construction of the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. Right? So many of you might know Fannie Lou Hamer. She was the kind of the voice in the face of that particular party experiment, which in large part grew out of SNCC and out of COFO, right? Which was a coalition of civil rights organizations that had come together to, to work some things out in Mississippi in the mid-60s. So that project, many people think it kind of ended in 1968. It still exists. It still you know, has this kind of dual battered line. So, and we have always kind of had a strategy of all of the folks who live in Mississippi are registered members of the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. Not of the Democratic Party, but of the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party. So that piece has always been there. And because of how that particular struggle played out, the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party can still run and participate in the Democratic Party uh, primary. And the, given the nature of the politics and where, you know, particularly the Democrats as a national party really kind of fit into things, they don't, until here recently, they're changing their tune now, but until here recently, they don't really send any money or make any investment or call any shots in Mississippi. It's just kind of written off. Like, we know the black community is going to vote Democrat. We know we're going to uh, hold all those seats. And we know that black people don't constitute a majority, so they can't hold a statewide office like the, the governor, that we just don't have the capacity to win it. And that you can, Mississippi is such a state that if you look at it, when you look at the next national election in 2018, and you look at who, you know, the, 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 the Democrats, who wins the Democrats and who wins, you know, the, which Democrats win and which Republican wins. Everything pretty much to the west of the state is going to be blue. Everything to the east of the state is going to be red. Now, what does that mean? Blue is the Democrats. Blue is where the black folks are concentrated. So where we're concentrated, that's automatically pretty much going to go to the Democrats. Where white folks are, are concentrated, which is more in the East, that's pretty much going to go all to the Republicans. So the, the parties are split pretty much along racial lines, you know, to this day. Republicans are white, Democrats are blue. That's the general, that's not absolute, but that's the general equation. So we are trying to change that dynamic, right, for a lot of different reasons. And the, the dynamic that we're trying to change is, Number one, the Democratic Party locally, regionally, nationally does not represent the interests of black people, particularly black working class people, or, or basically anybody else at this point in time. So let's kind of recognize that fact, organizing our own interests, organizing all base to create our own political party. That was the thinking. Okay, so then the third part, just to speed up, the third part was building the solidarity economy. And in Mississippi, given what I told you about the unemployment, so it's not just that there's, you know, uh, kind of a, a, a huge unemployment rate. There, there really, we exist in a space that there really never, ex the, the capacity, the industrial capacity, as folks kind of left, you know, Mississippi's still primarily agricultural state, but most of the agriculture now is lumber, right? It's trees. And that gets cultivated about every 10 years. And that's cultivated by machines, not primarily by humans. So the need for human beings to actually work in the farms has long since disappeared from Mississippi, and it disappeared for intentional reasons. And to just be transparent, I was one who was holding the, the position, we are here to execute our program.
We are not here to try to manage the contradictions of capitalism. It's impossible. We cannot do it, especially in Mississippi. We, that's not, we can't do that. It's not our job, not our role. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't fix the streets or repair the, you know, the, the potholes and try to do that. But ultimately, it's not where we should be spending the vast majority of our time. The vast majority of our time was what we called it was making all the fundamental questions of governance mass questions. And to try to take the governing of the city for the four years that we were going to hold that office, to take all of or as much of the power as possible out of City Hall and put it back into the community. And what that meant was, you know, we were going to not just do a small portion, to give you a sense of what we mean by that, we weren't just going to do a small portion of the city's budget in a participatory manager. We were going to do the entire budget in, in, uh, on a participatory line and take it and open up the entire thing. Now, I should say one of the reasons why we were pushing that was to really try to do the experiment of getting rid of the police. That's all another conversation that folks want to have, it, right? And because in, in Jackson, Mississippi, the police occupy roughly about 30% of the, the city's budget, right? Uh, and it's a city of 200,000 people with a police force of about 5,000 people. You add it up, it's, it's far bigger than it needs to be in, the, in a city like Jackson, okay? So that was one of the things. But it was also just to put, reorganize the priorities of how the, the budget actually is spent. Because, you know, our theory was if mothers were governing the budget, how different would it really look than how it's currently structured? We believe, and we didn't get a chance to play that out, but we believe the social service component would skyrocket tremendously. And then, let's say we could create the structures where we're not only controlling the budget, but you control the administration of those funds on the neighborhood level. So that was, we were trying to kind of decentralize that and take it out of City Hall, take it really out of the mayor's hand to the extent possible, and try to do a radical experiment in that nature. We did, we, we started to really toy with it, but we didn't really get the chance. And then part of the thing, and some of this was, there was a conversation that many of us in this room were having earlier, which is going to be heavily on my mind for a couple of days, uh, at least if not some, some months, because it, it was very good. I'm glad I was able to be here for that. And so one of the central tensions that emerged there that was also central to us was how fast and hard, hard do we move our program? That was another part of the tension. Again, I was the one that's hit it hard, that's hit it now, and, you know, let's not wait. So, you know, we know who, pretty much who is who in the small city. We know who they are. We got to know what their, their position was. I was like, let's move all our people into the people, the positions that can be filled by our people, and let's pass all the legislation that can be passed in favor of what we want to do within the first three months. That was my position, within the first three months. Let's not give the opposition time to organize. We debated that for three months. <laughs> all right, once we were in, that was the original position we all agreed upon. But once we were in, we debated that for three months. Uh, and we made some critical mistakes. One of the critical mistakes was uh, our city, uh, and this was before Chokwe came into the mayorship. Our city uh, has a very antiquated infrastructure, but the worst of it is our water delivery system. It's terrible. It's old. It's about 120 years old with, with huge lead pipes that kind of feed everything, which are just contaminated, you know, uh, in more ways than one. 
Um, so this goes back to that intentional neglect that I was talking about. So the city had known that this was, the, the federal government told them this needed to be fixed as early as 1972, the year I was born. So this has been sitting on the agenda that long with no explanation and no real solid way of what the hell are we going to do about it. And then Chokwe died. That, remember, this happens, the first bill coming in January, Chokwe dies in February. Right? So we are then kind of left essentially flat-footed because there's a special election which is called, which, which was basically a month after he died, they were going to have a special election. And there were 20 people jumped in that election, including his son. His son made it to the second round against another challenger. And his son uh, uh, lost by basically 3,000 votes. Now there was a dynamic that happened, again, tied to this. The voter turnout dropped. When his father ran, the voter, was, voter turnout was the highest it had ever been in Jackson. Right, so that gives you a sense that, you know, we had done some of our work right, we have touched a lot of people who normally didn't vote. The second go around, they just, they just didn't show up. This is just reality. You can either allow that reality to paralyze you, you can put your head in the sand, or you can convert that discomfort into a driving force. I'm letting you know that it ain't no gun they make that can kill my soul. Listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now, Janice Graham. Good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining us here at Our Common Ground tonight. Joining us once again is our dear brother in the struggle. Kali Akuno. He is at the center of one of the most brilliant strategies in black struggle in our time. We're going to be talking with him about a conference that will be held in Jackson, Mississippi, June 16th through the 19th. Black Power, Black Lives, and Pan-Africanism Conference, honoring the legacy and building for a self-determining future. Kali served as the Director of Special Projects and External Funding in the Mayoral Administration of our dear and beloved late Chokwe Lumumba in Jackson, Mississippi. His focus in that role was supporting cooperative development, the interdiction introduction of eco-friendly and carbon reduction methods of operation and the promotion of human rights and international relations for the city. He also served as the director of the U.S. Human Rights Network, the executive director of the People's Hurricane Relief Fund based in New Orleans, Louisiana, when he first became an Our Common Voice, Our Common Ground Voice after Hurricane Katrina. 
He was a found, co-founder of the School of Justice and Community Development, a public school serving the academic needs of low-income African-American and Latino communities in Oakland, California. Kali is the producer of An American Nightmare, Black Labor and Liberation, a joint documentary project of Deep Dish TV and Cooperation Jackson. He is the co-founder and co-director of Cooperation Jackson and a co-writer of Operation Ghetto Storm, better known as the Every 24 Hours Report. And Brother Kali Akuno, it is such a great honor and pleasure to have you back with us. Free the land, brother. Free the land. Free the land. Good to be here. Good to hear your voice. Kali, how are you? We haven't I'm talked. Doing good. We haven't talked for yeah, for for quite good. a while. So much has happened. What I want to do tonight is talk about the conference that's going to be coming up next month uh in in Jackson. What I tried to do at the beginning of the broadcast tonight is give people a backstory because I think Jackson, Mississippi is has in place one of the most genius models of black struggle since, uh, I would say, the March on Washington. And I thank you so much for your leadership in all of it. Uh, Now, let's try to uh, put this into perspective because, to me, and I am so sorry that I was unable to get to last year to uh, Jackson Rising, the Jackson Rising Conference, but the Black Power, Black Lives, and Pan-Africanism Conference is looking at historic origins and development of the struggle for black power and the black power slogan emanating from it and analyze contributions of individuals, organizations, and entities. How did this come about after you did so much work on Jackson Rising last last May? Well, that was that was two years ago, Janet. Uh, oh, that's right. Um, yeah, it was two years ago. Time, God, time, time really. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, this this is one of those conferences that uh, the Malcolm X grassroots movement in Mississippi has been eyeing for a number of years. Uh, 2016 marks the 50th commemorative anniversary. Uh, when uh, uh, Baba uh, Kwame Torre mm-hmm. and uh, Bukasa, Willie Ricks and uh, others in SNCC on the march against uh, Washington, let me see, the march against fear, you know, when they got to Greenville, Mississippi and were arguing for a new course and a new direction in the struggle, uh, has really worked with the community along the march uh, and, and in the community in general and raised the slogan that we, we need to move from just an agitation for inclusivity into uh, the United States, you know, government uh, project and social system, but we need to actually exercise and have some power. Um, you know, folks, I think, typically forget that that happened in Mississippi, number one. 
and and why that happened in the Delta. I think there's a lot of historical significance there that we need to look at and, and, and analyze uh, historically and currently. Uh, but we didn't want to let this uh, opportunity to remind particularly a younger generation of both the sacrifices and the lessons learned over the course of this last 50 years uh, to miss out on that and to have a frank conversation uh, about black power as an unfulfilled but yet still ongoing quest. Uh, and so that is definitely what we are still struggling for in Jackson, Mississippi, and trying to be very clear, unambiguous, and unapologetic uh, about that quest. So that was really the driving force of why we are putting together this Black Power, Black Lives, and Pan-Africanism Conference. I think that what you just said is is so important because I do think that somehow uh, people don't understand the import of how close and how intimate black oppression is and continues to be in this nation. And when they begin to look at the demographics of the South and understand the threads that still, the historical threads that still run through the lives of black people in the South so vividly every day that having Jackson, Mississippi be the model of struggle for black people across this nation is so is is so i just have to say awesome because we do have have black a whole generation of black people who are not involved in the struggle mm-hmm. in, in any intimate way you know they're doing it as a matter of right and wrong you know i see right. that in some of the writing of some of our young people in the struggle, they see it as a moral right or wrong rather than an ancestral imperative. That's right. That's right. That's right. So when I when 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 I saw what was going to happen, some of the objectives of this conference, I said, you know, my 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 response was, this is so wonderful because this has to happen. Because, you know, Kali, on this show, one of the things I try to do is make people understand, to bring them to an understanding that it is where we live, where we take care of our families, where we go to school, and where we try to meek out our lives. That is where it matters. It doesn't matter in that we get engaged in who's in the White House. It's who's at City Hall. And to the extent that that City Hall interchange is happening in not only an equitable way, but in an aggressively affirmative way to help black people maintain and create a life for which they feel freedom. That's right. That's right. That's right. 
<laughs> that was that is that was an excellent summary. I'm gonna play that back in Jackson. <laughs> folks, you know, I think a, a younger generation of folks that we want to hear that. Uh, we have really been, you know, stressing, um, you know, start with what you can and what you should control. You know, your local environment, your local circumstance, mm-hmm. and we got to build power from there. And I think. Uh, you know, while it's necessary to study, uh, to monitor what's happening uh, on the on the national level, uh, you know, with uh, the drama with, with Trump, the concerns that people have with, with Trump, concerns that people have with Hillary, what many believe to be the promise of uh, of Bernie, but it's also critical. We've been telling a lot of young folks that's a game that you have very little impact on. Truth be told. And you need to understand why you have very little impact. You know, we can barely exercise power in our own uh, municipalities. And without having any concentrated power there throughout hundreds and thousands of cities throughout the United States, it's very hard to have any impact, any serious mm-hmm. impact on any of these mm-hmm. kind of national conversations and, and, and uh, their outcomes, you know, most mm-hmm. of which are predetermined long before the selection process is done anyway. But you got to start, you know, uh, organizing in your own community and and seizing control of the democratic processes and to whatever extent possible, seizing control uh, over how people actually sustain themselves economically and materially. You know, we have to start there. That's a critical message that we are really trying to, you know, get everybody to understand, and it's one of the reasons why, on a certain level, uh, uh, I, you know, we've been somewhat quiet, uh, uh, and we've been criticized for it in, in response to that. Quiet about the national elections this go round, and been, and every time we we get it, you know, kind of brought up, was to ask people, well, explain to us what your program is on a local level. You know, how are you mm-hmm. building power on the local level? Let's re-aim, let's re- refocus, and let's reshift. Uh, because, you know, that the outside of the, the, I think, some of the things that Bernie uh, uh, is pushing, the, that's a rigged game that we have very little by way. We want to get really specific and concrete. We have very little by way which we can actually influence that process. Mm-hmm. And we have to change and, that dynamic and we change it on the ground. And it's clear that in our community, when we vote on the on the national level, we vote with our hearts and not with, on the basis of a great deal of, of, of research. Because mm-hmm. if that were so, Barack Obama would not have had a second term. That's right. Uh, but at the local level, I think that we we do have to allow people to discover that they can have confidence in what they know because they are living whatever it is um, and whatever their circumstances are. And I, I go to Flint, Michigan, and I go to Detroit uh, um, to look at the issue of had black people in 2012 
be concentrating on what was happening at the local level in Flint, Detroit, and other places in Illinois. First of all, this uh, arrogant, corrupt governor would not be the governor. And second of all, the water issue in Flint would have been a number one imperative relative to activism. That's right. Because it was then that people in that community knew something was wrong. And and I really look at what what you are doing with Jack um Jackson Cooperation and the Malcolm X Grassroots Movement uh and what came out of Jackson Rising and infrastructure was a very important uh prior priority coming out of that conference and that's why these kind of conferences ought to be happening in every city and black community across this country. And, and Kali, one of the things that I've been saying is we we spend too we 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 burn up all of our resources and energy about things that, as you say, we cannot control. And, and that's why we got to refocus, and that's why we got to reshift. You know, and everybody and anybody who's willing to, you know, listen and try to engage with us. That's what we're trying to get people to, to, to refocus on. Start with. You know, changing the circumstances in your immediate community and in your immediate environment, uh, uh, you know, on a practical level of scale. You know, for some people in a place like Chicago, you know, there's millions of people that might be just on the neighborhood level. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it really got to look at it. But that's where we got to get back to, I think, uh, uh, organizing and developing strong bases in the community that can actually mm-hmm. change and dictate circumstances and not just be dictated to. Uh, but it requires a refocus. It requires a, a, a reshift, I think, from how many of us have been oriented towards, you know, politics. And I mean politics, not just in, in regards to elections. Um, uh-huh. That's just one dimension of, of politics. But it's how we've been re- reoriented, I think, over the last 30 years uh, to our own detriment. So it's it's, it's repivoting, refocusing. Uh, starting on the local, but understanding how the local relates to, you know, the, the national and how it relates to the international and what we can do by starting on the local level to to impact uh, uh, all those different levels of, uh, of governance and, and, you know, economics. You know, that's the, that's the critical thing that we're trying to get people to understand, particularly this younger generation, you know, which over the past two years has, has exhibited a tremendous amount of courage, a uh, tremendous amount of, of uh, persistence, uh, but I think it's still very much uh, in the process of struggling uh, for a program. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, uh, uh, it's not like uh, our movements come ready-made, and it's not like right. everything is all figured out before, uh, You know, as soon as we get in motion. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, you know, this generation has a, a very steep mountain to climb uh, uh, in trying to figure a lot of things out because of some gaps um, that existed for some of the previous uh, generations. And I think, quite honestly, you know, building on an analysis that, that I agree with that comes out of the Black Agenda Report, the intentional misdirection from the black misleadership class uh, 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 from the CBC and some of the things on down, 
that have distorted mm-hmm. people's vision and understanding uh, by accommodating themselves to neoliberal politics and, and you know, uh, uh, all of the different uh, excuses for moving away from the real issues of people that exist within the Democratic Party, of which they are representing themselves and promoters of. So we got a mm-hmm. serious struggle on our hands that we have to, to deal with inside of our own community and, and how all of these different uh, forces of power have been manipulating us to even bold and act in our own, against our own interests for some time now. Well, well, one of the things that, you know, I'm a, I'm a graduate of the Gary Convention in 1968. And one of the things that we have learned, well, some of us have learned, that Gary was too big, too short, Mm. Mm. and it didn't have, we didn't come out of Gary. We came out of Gary with an agenda but not a plan, and there was no mechanism in which to build a plan. And one of the things that you've been able to do in Jackson, which is why uh, Brother Chokwe was able to uh, run so successfully for mayor, is that you had a plan. And the plan was not just electoral politics. The plan was community planning and development, which included organizing and education. And we haven't done that either. You know, when when I when I look at what Jackson Rising did, and when I look at what this conference is going to do, and I think about Chicago, for instance, I think four of these conferences, from what I know about Chicago. Four of these conferences need to be happening in four different locations in the city of Chicago, here in Boston. We need to have two of them uh, and then have another conference. I mean, I spent probably 1969 uh, 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 and 70 waiting to be called back to, 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 to Gary, and it never happened. Mm. So, um, and and when we do that, we lose momentum. I want to have a conversation with you about how you have been able to maintain the momentum through Jackson Corporation and the Malcolm X Grassroots Movement um, over time. How did that happen? It, it happens quite literally, I think, through intergenerational leadership development and training, which is intentional. And, mm-hmm. and let me be more mm-hmm. specific on what I mean by that. I think, you know, myself uh, was a beneficiary of folks from the Gary, you know, black power generation who created some structures starting with, with things like uh, Camp Pumziko and the New African Scouts, mm. mm-hmm. you know, who started training us very early on when we were kids, you know, I mean, little, little kids. Uh, discipline, uh, you know, a lot of skills, you know, kind of life skills, survival skills, uh, you know, putting us in a, 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 in some routines, uh, where we're constantly engaging 
uh, with members of our family in the community and, and various types of democratic choices, things that we, we were expected to solve and figure out on our own, you know, with, with some kind of guidance facilitation. Um, you know, and this was, was basically, you know, you look at it, it was it was kind of the development of, of cadre, you know, uh, on a level very early on. And then moving up through that uh, into more developed structures for teenagers and, and throughout college. And folks giving us the opportunity to learn for, our, for ourselves and to make our own mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, I think mm-hmm. Jackson has been probably the most exemplary of all the different chapters that the Malcolm X Grassroots Movement has established over the past uh, 25 years. And before that, the New African People's Organization, and it's going back some 30 years. And then that being tied to, you know, the African People's Party and the Republic of New Africa, you know, so there's a continuity that has been maintained in uh, particular from from a very explicit type of cadre development, which always had an orientation on doing mass work, being connected with the community on a very intentional level, be it doing basketball, everything from doing basketball teams, which Chokwe did. You know, he was a basketball coach and had the Panthers, you know, uh, 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 AMA team. Doing things like that and then doing very specific political things political education, organizing, you know, uh, uh, actual campaigns to deal with issues like police brutality, uh, to deal with things like poor, inadequate housing in the community, where you constantly were engaging people in the community where they were at, not where you wanted them to be or speculated that they are, that where they should be, but really where they were at. And I think Jackson has done an excellent job of that over about a 30-year period. You know, and without that kind of foundation work being there, Chokwe would have never come close to being the mayor of Mississippi. But it was because he had done that type of work and was able to do it on an intergenerational basis for so long with the organization uh, that he already had the credibility in the community. He already had uh, uh, a number of different folks in the community who understood why he was running from you know, the years of engagement and training that they had with the organization and could relate to the aspirations and the goals and objectives that were set out. So it's not like it's something that uh, was successful just because we thought about it maybe five or six years ago. It was because of all of the groundwork that had been done over a long period of time that made that possible. And that's a critical thing that we're definitely trying to get this younger generation to understand is that you know, the old folks used to say, at least the old folks, I was like, you, you got to pay your dues. You know, you got to put in some mm-hmm. work uh, and mm-hmm. build some concrete relationships, and you got to be battle tested. So folks know that if they give you some responsibility, you will handle it, you will handle it with principle, and you handle, handle it with dignity. Not that everybody expects you to be perfect, because we all know that nobody is, uh, but, you know, how you have to struggle through that. And us being able to do that and continue to do that, continue to work on that foundation and to have a model, that's what's enabled us to keep Cooperation Jackson, you know, to, to actually start it after Chokeway died. People have to totally understand that. That that didn't become a formal organization until May 1st, 2014. 
you know, so it's only two years old and it's a baby and it started officially after Chokeway died. But it, it was only, we were only capable of doing that because folks like myself and many others had these decades of training and preparation in so many other fields and had learned a certain level of discipline to be able to continue on, even though, you know, someone who everybody sees and understands as a figurehead has died, the mission in the program doesn't start. And because you've had this training, we've always had this training, a certain level of quality and the next person step up is already there and it's already built into the model. Mm -hmm. So, you know, those are the practical things that I would uh, 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 kind of point people to and how it takes, you know, with the key elements on how it takes time and effort and discipline to build quality in uh, our, our young and in ourselves to be able to uh, have a vision, develop a plan and a strategy to execute it and then have the skill or the ability to acquire the skills and the discipline to do that to be able to execute it successfully. You know, so that that is what enabled us to continue uh, at the level we've been able to continue since Chokeway passed. Well, one, what would you say are the major factors that, you know, there were so many people who were saying after Brother Lumumba's death that the political mechanism would fall apart in Jackson, I mean, I was one of the people, Kali, I was ready to move to Jackson when he was elected. I'm saying, okay, all the black people, let's all pack our bags and let's all go to Jackson, Mississippi. Hey, because we, we, we're still welcoming people. <laughs> but one of the things, something very important had to happen in building the infrastructure for political struggle in Jackson for it to stay alive. And so you're saying that Cooperation Jackson was the, was the infrastructure that was created in order for it to stay alive. No, let me, let me back up and correct that. So the foundation, really, I would say, just so everybody on this is clear, the foundation is New African People's Organization, you know, which mm-hmm. is a cadre organization. That is the real foundation. The mass organization, the broader organization that makes it possible, is what the Malcolm X grassroots movement has built in Jackson, Mississippi. Right? Uh, and the Malcolm X grassroots movement, just so everybody knows, it actually started in Jackson, Mississippi in 1990. So that is really its birthplace. Now, it's, it's a child of the New African People's Organization, but it started as a specific project in Jackson, Mississippi. And that was very intentionally to to reach a younger generation, which at that time was being heavily influenced uh, by a number of different things. But one of the things in particular was kind of this resurgence in in the popularity of Malcolm X. Uh, But it was often a very commercialized version of it. This is my generation. Um, A very commercialized version of it. So, you know, I think some of the folks who are a little bit younger, uh, I mean, a little, excuse me, a little bit older, uh, who also came from an earlier gener- earlier wave of folks being influenced by Malcolm, saw this commercialization and wanted to challenge it and to provide it with some actual core content and political orientation 
uh, uh, in, a, in a solid foundation. So they brought a lot of us in. This is, again, my generation, and, and gave us some solid political education on who Malcolm was, you know, what he came out of, make sure we understood, you know, the UNIA and, and the African Civilizations League, make sure we understood what uh, the Nation of Islam was, make sure that people understood, you know, what the, the organization of African-American unity was, what Muslim Mosque Incorporated was, what it was, was responding to, the international uh, and pan-African connections that Malcolm had. I mean, just gave us a solid foundation. So we just went out there, you know, wearing Malcolm X hats and T-shirts and medallions uh, and, and had no clear understanding of what the aims and objectives uh, that he was promoting was. So doing that type of of, of education work, then I think, was a foundation for folks say, in my generation, and it's something I think, not without challenge, we've been able to keep up uh, in Jackson and some of the other chapters of the Malcolm X grassroots movement. Now, because that infrastructure, that training, that skill set, and that development had been in place and had been been worked on, you know, for twenty something odd years, you already had a core. We had a core. Uh, uh, kind of cadre of folks, if you want to call it that, um, who were prepared and trained to move on fulfilling another aspect of the Jackson Cush plan. So we always had in mind from 10 years ago, Janet, we had in mind over 10 years ago now that we were going to create a vehicle like Cooperation Jackson. It didn't have that name at the time, but we always knew that that was something that we were going to work on and execute. And so uh, a division of labor amongst us, so some people are going to concentrate on building the people's assembly. Some of us are going to concentrate on, on uh, uh, doing the independent political work to do the electoral campaign and things of that nature. And some of us are going to concentrate on the, the economic solidarity portion, the economic development side. Uh, and that was one of those people. You know, we started going and getting trainings about uh, cooperatives over eight years ago, you know, deliberately taking courses, mm-hmm, traveling mm-hmm. throughout the country and traveling internationally to learn the lessons from other, you know, contexts and other people's struggle uh, and to figure out what will work in our context and what, what wouldn't work. So it's, it's, when we set up Cooperation Jackson, you know, when we start doing the prep work for that in 2013, uh, that was on the basis of, of a, a group of folks studying and doing collective, uh, uh, you know, foundation and theory work with each other over a course of eight years. So it's not something that just came out of nowhere. There was actually a lot of development that people did not see that was not necessarily public, but we were studying and reflecting, assessing, and doing a little bit of experimenting to figure out what would work, what possible, you know, what wouldn't work. And then when the when the time was right, and, this, and that time was in part drawn by necessity, because we were, we wanted to be very firm and clear with folks that when Chokwe died, the Jackson Cush to let everybody know the Jackson Cush plan uh, did not die. Uh, it was not dead. It was not uh, uh, dependent just upon one person, however popular or charismatic or intelligent he or she may have been, uh, but it was part of a collective process. Uh, and so we, we wanted to make sure that people understood that uh, we were still moving, uh, and that's what we've done the past two years. But it was only because we had done all of this prep work, you know, 
mm-hmm. going back 20, 30 something years, uh, but with a clear strategy and orientation that goes back about 10 years. So that's what mm-hmm. enabled that to happen, just so folks to be clear. That's what's enabled mm-hmm. Cooperation Jackson to have the success that it is, it is having now and to be able to kind of meet the challenges, and there are plenty of them uh, that we've been confronted with over the past two years. Mm-hmm. Let, let, let's let's broaden out this uh, conversation because you are just such a a a, a vast resource of organizing and educating in our community, and there is a very long history in the South of a ver of pragmatic approaches to co-ops. I mean, mm-hmm. um, um, name any famous American leader. Uh, African-American leader, Ella Baker, W.E.B. Du Bois, Marcus Garvey, A. Philip Randolph, they were all proponents of co-ops. And it was, and and to give people uh, a historical context for all of of this and the notion of co-ops is there is a legendary school that was started in Tennessee in 1932, the Highlander Folk School. And it trained successive generations of movement leaders, including Rosa Parks and Fannie Lou Hamer. That's right. But we have, and and until the Jackson Rising Conference, Kali, I had not heard anyone talking about co-ops. And I know Saladin Muhammad Black Workers for Justice uh, was one of the speakers at Jackson Rising, and he is an advocate. His organization advocates worker co-ops. But let's talk about some other kind of co-ops. Do we have a leadership co-op going on in this country, black leadership co-ops going on in this country? Because all I'm seeing is the Urban League publishing the same list of problems every year and calling it a report and calling it somehow um, a monumental. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm I'm not trying to call anybody out, but, you know, it just happened this week, so it was on my mind. (laughs) And and I I do have to tell you about some, some, some thought, thought farts that I had this week too. I want to talk to you about those, but I'm thinking that one of the things, and and this is my request going into the Black Power, um, Black Lives and Pan-Africanism Conference this week, is that we need to be looking at education co-ops. We need to be pulling together all of the young people especially who have been recently trained in educational strategies uh, for disenfranchised children. We need to have a co-op that has to do with medical disparities, and that is bringing together, I mean, I looked at, I think it was FAMU, and there were 16 young sisters who graduated from FAMU um, Medical School, from some medical school, but they were all from FAMU. And I'm wondering, and and, and I have a list of co-ops, that we could participate, economic co-ops. We have Sandy, my dear friend, brother, Sandy Darity, who's the top economist, black or white, in this country, and Derek Hamilton at the New School in New York. Um, And they have published 
uh, about strategies for economic empowerment for black people in this country. But we're, there is no center in which, you know, and of course political science. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We, we, when we lost Ron Walters, he had his finger on the pulse of, bo- of, of both national and public policy politics in this country. And there was no mechanism for which, I mean, I've been, I I was in meetings with Ron Walters um, maybe 50 or 60 times, and it was just like 15 of us or 20 of us, and that's not enough. So how do we do this outreach? Uh, And and I'm I'm asking you to mention this at the conference in June, (laughs) or I might even show up, but... Um, how do we, a, a housing co-op, gentrification, and rising rents in the urban areas, a huge problem for our people. So where do we go to begin to carve out that kind of strategy to have working groups that maybe can blossom into think tanks? And then can blossom into nonprofits, because see, when I look at all the all the nonprofit, all the money going to nonprofits out of our government, the grants that nonprofit get, it's not African American nonprofits. It may be the Urban League and a little bit for the Nash, for for the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, but certainly not enough. But how do we go go into a conference like this? Because another question I have for you, who's going to be there and who's presenting, but how do we begin to raise the aura of black power in this country? Black Lives Matters is not enough. That's right. They won't right. get organized. Well, how are you going to represent somebody and don't want to be organized? I don't know. That's a, that's another discussion, but I think folks yeah. there, the parks is there. You know, it's a big piece in 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 uh, uh, the, the overall movement uh, is far more diverse than I think sometimes we give credit for. But to your point, your your point. I mean, we intend for uh, uh, just so folks know, um, it's a four day affair. Now, Thursday and Friday are just in the evenings, uh, primarily to accommodate, you know, the, the working people in Jackson who, you know, just most of whom just can't take off in the middle of the day and come to the conference. So they're just in the evening. But uh, we haven't tried to line this conference up with a lot of, like, heavyweights and famous people to be speakers. There's only, in, in, in this four days, there's only four plenaries where there's kind of talking heads. We are really trying to have kind of a guided conversation structured around some questions which are, A, trying to set the record straight uh, around uh, uh, the movement and the slogan for black power. To give people a, a, a real understanding of what that is and, and what it was about and what its relevance is today. And as I start off with, and that is an unfulfilled quest. Uh, you know, we uh, uh, still do not have the power to determine our own destiny. 
so that is still an ongoing struggle, and we're trying to do that to to really ground a younger generation in understanding um, you know, that we may have varied understand meanings and under in interpretations of uh, what power is, but we can all agree that it's something that we do not have sufficient amount of. Something that we need to figure out how to attain uh, in order to protect Black life and to see it, you know, uh, 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 not only survive but 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 to thrive. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a critical piece that we need to really work on, and why we're trying to do this. The other critical thing um, uh, there is. Outside of these kind of guided questions, we're really trying to come out of this uh, with some common ground, if you would, on developing kind of a program that helps us to go forward. So we see this as an ongoing conversation that we're going to start and and intend to follow up on it with a couple of different things down the road, a couple of different things down the road. Uh, over the course of the next two or three years. And for us, this is very much connected to the International Decade for People of African Descent, which is something that we've been fighting and struggling for, uh, you know, for some time, for well over uh, uh, a decade, uh, uh, coming out of the World Conference Against Racism in Durban, uh, which was in 2001. So there's a there's a longer piece and a strategic piece that this all kind of fits into that I wish we had you know, we may have to do two or three shows, uh, I think, to fully break it down and folks understand at least some of what our thinking is. Uh, but this is a, a a a starting point in us really trying to share what lessons and what knowledge we have gained over the past five years uh, uh, to help give some definition to and hopefully some guidance to a national movement, uh, you know, this national upsurge. Um, you know, so it can become more concrete and deal with some of the issues that you were uh, uh, missing Jan- mentioning, uh, Janice, about people getting organized and being clear about who and what they're representing and why and what they aim to do. Um, and, and we're trying to just do more than just defend life, black life. That's a, that's a necessary requirement given this day and age and how it's under threat and how our people are becoming more and more disposable. Uh, but we just don't want to stop on the basis of just, you know, uh, uh, saving lives to be living in, in ongoing deplorable conditions. We want to create a program and a strategy that helps us to uh, live fully actualized lives as African people. And that is something that is going to take uh, more, much more than just a, a little hot spot in Jackson uh, uh, to reach. So, you know, we're, we're trying to build out very patiently, very democratically, a broader program, and we hope folks will, will join us, you know, at the conference in Jackson. If you can't join us in Jackson, there'll be portions of the conference which are actually going to be streamed uh, online, and we're going to try to I have... I was going to ask you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to stream certain portions of it online, and we're going to be inviting people who can't make it for whatever reason, you know, uh, uh can't afford it, which we understand. Um, you know, there'll be portions of it. We're going to have, like, Twitter dons and Facebook and other ways that people can actually participate in the conversation while it's going on and going to encourage a broader audience, you know, of our people uh, uh, throughout the United States and throughout the world to engage in uh, as we try to put our, put our collective heads together 
uh, and come up with, uh, uh, you know, over the course of not just one meeting but several uh, in an ongoing process, uh, put our best heads together and come up with a, a real 21st century program of action that we developed the capacity to execute. You know, because we, yeah. don't, we don't, one of the critical things that you mentioned, which I'd love to do an interview with you about, you know, about about Garrick's. There's a lot of lessons, I think, there that have to be drawn out. You know, one of the things I just want to bring up that I think is, because that's, that's something I've studied extensively over the years, um, you know, is how there was the the the, uh, uh, the outcome document that came out of Garrick, which I still think is a beautiful document and still relevant to this day. Uh, but then there was all, there was basically the CBC and some of the black politicians who refused to commit to it and broke away and then created uh, uh, a, a much more reformist, streamlined uh, uh, document that, that was supposed to be and was enacted as a parallel to what came out of the Gary. And that's a hard lesson. I'm glad lesson. you I, said that, Kali, because I still am not over it. Uh Thank you all for being with us. Our guest tonight is Kali Akuno, and we're talking about a conference that's going to be held Thursday, June 16th through Sunday, June 19th at the Chokwe Lumumba Center for Economic Democracy and Development in Jackson, Mississippi. It is Black Power, Black Lives, and Pan-Africanism Conference, honoring the legacy and building for a self-determining future. With Kali Akuna, we're going to, to the top of the hour, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, uh, if you'd like to also make some recommendations or have some discussion about what's going to happen at this conference and how you can get involved. And Kali, I am so glad you're saying that it's going to be streaming uh, in some portions. Our number here at Our Common Ground is 347-838-9852. We'd be happy to take your calls talking with Kali Okuno um, when we return from this break. Thank you so much uh, for being with us here tonight. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And now, back to Janice. No matter what, know your value. No matter what, know you matter. The I Declare Show, home of Real Raw Right Now Talk Media. I Declare Show is where we deal with the difficult, real, raw, right now. The I Declare Show. Real, raw, right now, talk media. I Declare it. The I Declare Show, Tuesdays, 9 p.m. I'm Janice Graham, and I declare it's real, raw, and right now. The I Declare Show with India Declare. Hi, I'm Venus Williams. You know, I heard recently that the two main reasons for not getting an annual mammogram are limited access and fear. I know that there are low-cost and even free screenings at some hospitals and clinics, and I've even heard of mobile mammogram units in some areas. Talk about service. 
Look, I know getting a screening is not as exciting as shopping, but life is for living. So take the first step to breast health. Get the mammogram. For more information, please visit breastcancerawareness.com. movement that has been ongoing. The civil rights movement, you know, started back, what, in the 50s and has not stopped, okay? Um, the issues that were relevant to oppressed people, be they workers or black or gay or what have you, those issues um, still remain very much pertinent today. This is a moment we should all be proud of. It's absolutely critical that we have uh, uh, conferences and, and opportunities to fellowship and learn from one another like this this particular conference. You know, we understand what the barriers are. How do we support each other in removing those barriers? Um, how do we, and how do we not just do it in pockets? How do, and I understand that, you know, what we're trying to do, we're trying to build what we're trying to build in Jackson, but we understand this connection to Chicago. We understand this connection to Los Angeles. We understand this connection to um, New York. And we understand that, you know, it's a movement. You're listening to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. And I think we better get on up because the struggle for black African liberation is long, it's protracted. It's costly in terms of sweat, tears, and blood. And here at Our Common Ground, we're starting in a new phase. Coming up in our, starting with this program, coming up for the summer. And it is the ancestral imperative. Blood, sweat, and tears. The current upsurge in the black Movement, popularly referred to in the United States as the Movement for Black Lives, powerfully demonstrates that revolutionary ideas and demands emanating from people's movement don't die and cannot be defeated. And the Black Power, Black Lives, and Black Afghanism Conference seeks to examine the historic origins and development of the struggle for black power and to critically analyze the contributions of individuals, organizations, and entities that dedicated themselves to its pursuit, past and present. It also will examine how the current generation and Black Lives Movement is seeking to attain black power and pan-Africanism, and what must be done ideologically, politically, and programmatically to build and seize them. If when I say Kali... Akuno, free to land, and you don't understand it, you got a lot of work to do. Thank you, Kali, again, for uh, Akuno, for being with us here tonight on Our Common Ground. I'd like to go to our our phones, but I do want to let this audience know that you should be watching the Our Common Ground website at ourcommonground.com and our Facebook page at OCG Talk Radio so that you can stay in touch with what's going to happen at this conference. 646, you're on the air with Kali Akuno. 
of Corporation Jackson. Hey, what's going on, BJ? Is 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 Jay? Listen, hey Jay. You know, I, I I just like to say this. Honestly, I'm no big fan of these conferences because I just think it's basically Negroes get together, pontificating about BS. Because you know. The one thing no, I can say about Shockwave, let me finish, let me finish, let me finish the point. You let me start, because one of the reasons that we're doing this program, and you know I don't cover a lot of conferences, but one of the reasons we're doing this program is because these are people who are actually getting something done. I was just getting ready to say something, if you would have listened, about Shockwave and the movement that he was trying down. Okay, the movement that he was trying to put together in Jackson, Mississippi. Now, I've read quite a bit of stuff about Chokeway, and I'm really appreciating and enjoying what his son is continuously doing and what some of the people that were involved with him are doing in Jackson, Mississippi. And I understand clearly the fight back that is being placed against them. My point I was trying to make is that these conferences really don't produce anything because we are so separated and divided, and we haven't gone to a place like Jackson, Mississippi, and collectively gone in there and done the necessary things to take over a town like Jackson, Mississippi, and use it as the test case to what we can do regarding the gentrification and all of the other stuff that's going on in this country. Because the things that Chuckway was talking about doing as far as business and things of that nature is on a similar level to what Claude Anderson has been talking about creating Blacktown. But were you with us? Were Were you with us at the beginning of the program? Uh, just a little bit of it. Okay, so you don't. But, but, understand. but do you understand my point of what I'm I, I, what I, I'm I, what I'm trying to trying to say? I would have to shred it up a little bit and take it piece by piece. But Kali served as the director of special projects and external fur, uh, funding in the mayoral administration of the late Chokwe. Lumumba of Jackson, Mississippi. And he did a good job, as from, from what I've seen, and, and I'm glad to see that the plan is moving forward because I would say this. This would be my no. vision Do you for have Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah, my question is, how are you going to get all of the people who did not support Brother Chokeway in the beginning, who some of them came around, to collectively build up a city like Jackson, Mississippi, and use it as a test case for the direction that we're going, knowing that black people are totally being displaced from all of these other cities and states around around the U.S. Because I think that could be the central place to really, really do something collectively for African people that got like bonds. That's the real question. Well, that, that's what we I mean, that's the foundation of our discussion, that this is a model. And one of the things that you have to do, and I'm going to let Kali uh, jump in 
here to to address your question, one of the things that you do have to do, you have to keep feeding the workers and the soldiers, and you have to keep recruiting new ones. Kali? Yeah, I'm here, brother. Appreciate your question. Um, Number one, let me just say for everybody, you know, who's listening, uh, Chokwe Antar Lumumba is running for mayor of Jackson, Mississippi in 2017. He just made his official announcement uh, on Thursday, May 19th, and I think we all know the, the significance of that date. Um, and this is a continuation of the Jackson Cush plan. Uh, it should be known uh, that part of what we had always envisioned was training and preparing Tokwe and Tarlamumba and others, not just him, uh, to take on some extended leadership role within the electoral arena. So him coming on should not be just read as just following in his father's footsteps. It was something that we had thought about and had been planning for for some time. Now, it's a bit earlier than we had envisioned doing this uh, by, by, you know, uh, all accounts. Uh, we had envisioned having Chokwe do two terms and two terms only. And in that eight years, uh, preparing folks like Antar and June Hardwick and, and uh, Kai uh, Abiyadun and many others um, that folks may know uh, in Jackson uh, to take up uh, other positions uh, in the course of due time. And we prepared ourselves and we learned how uh, uh, to govern in the manner that we wanted to govern, not just within the limitations presented to us by the constitutional framework of the state of Mississippi and the United States government. So I'm putting that into to perspective because uh, in saying that, A, so folks know, uh, and B, get a sense of what our thinking and preparation has been and continues to be, but to also put in a situation in the context of this conference. Uh, we're doing the conference uh, one month after Chokwe's uh, announcement on purpose. Uh, I'm not going to give too much of that away, but uh, suffice it to say, uh, we are, as I was just mentioning, we are trying to take the little experience that we have had and the little knowledge that we have gained, both in the positive and the negative, uh, and to share that with others through some dialogue. We're not interested in another kind of talking head conference. It's not what we're trying to do down in Jackson. And there'll be some people who uh, we believe can best express uh, different points of view, different politics, different understandings of very strategic questions, and have them on four plenaries. But the vast majority of the time and energy is going to be spent uh, trying to engage each other, both in Jackson and folks who will be joining us, um, you know, by online means, via Twitter or Facebook uh, or other things that we're going to set up on the tech side, to be able to have a strategic conversation uh, that will take some time because we're not going to resolve all the different issues or come to the sharpest conclusion that we can come to within the course of four days. But we can start a conversation, build out on what we've been able to do, uh, uh, take the best examples of that, 
and engage in the process. Janice uh, it, it did, said something that I think is, was profound. She said that after Gary, there was basically no follow-up, and many people were looking for it, and it fundamentally didn't happen. Uh, we've been to too I've been to too many conferences and things like that that were great, uh, made me feel hyped and enthusiastic, and there was no follow-through. You know, what we've been doing since the Jackson Rising Conference two years ago, uh, we've had basically one of these per year where we've been trying to tackle some different questions each year and have them build upon each other so that we learn, folks who engage us learn, uh, and we can share and build our strength and build our network. So we're trying to – this is part of a – of a strategy, I'm not saying that we executed everything to perfection and to a T. Oftentimes, we run into to issues of uh, of capacity. Those are still real uh, issues for our project, as they are for most, you know, things concerning our people these days. Uh, but I think uh, uh, there will be a great deal to learn and share, and that this is just, you know, view this conference, brother, as just one small act in an ongoing. Uh, uh, strategy and program to build power on the local level and to try to project how that can be done throughout the South and throughout all the different communities where our people live and are organizing or have the will and determination to to organize and not just defeat, you know, gentrification, but to actually build and attain some power so we can manifest how we want to manifest in the world. Well, brother, I'm I'm going to definitely... Hopefully, when y'all put up the the website or wherever donations could be sent to um, send a, a a donation, because I do think that y'all have something that will be much much more value than these conferences that old Jesse and Reverend Al and the rest of them having. Because you know, brother Chokeway, it seemed to me from what I've read had some semblance of a plan and that y'all brothers and his son are moving forward with that same type of agenda. And, um, you know, I, that that's what we need. I, I, I think what's going on in Jackson, Mississippi, is the type of um, movement that will take us much more forward than um, what what's going on. Out here, and and I'm yeah. I'm happy for you, and you have you have my my support. I I I think your group is definitely the group. Hopefully, with some of the other progressive groups that will be able to come forward and do something because the the old guard, the NAACP, the Urban League, the National Action, and the rest of them, they're not moving us forward as a people. So I'm I'm very excited about this. And if I tell you, I'm gonna sing you some money, you know I'm excited about it. So, brother, just keep up the good work, man, and I'm and I'm enjoying what you're saying, man. You know, as as Brother Chokeway used to say, free the land, baby, free the land. Hotel. Free the land, black power. Thank you, Jay. And you be careful out there. You stay safe. <laughs> Janice, if I can, because I'm, I'm sure some other folks were, were, were wondering, so just let Jay know. Uh, you can support us and get this information about the conference and make a donation to us at cooperationjackson.org. Uh, That's our website, www.cooperationjackson.org. The and information we posted about it in our chat, chat room. Thank you. 
I know you have to leave, and I thank you so much for giving up some of your family time. You're out there on the West Coast visiting family. Um, but, Holly, we wish you so much um, of everything and enough in this struggle. You have you have um, given of uh, of your life and your spirit in all of this, and it and I know that it couldn't have been easy. Uh, nothing worth having is is easy. And thank you so much. And uh, what what I want to do is have you come back after the conference. But don't forget to say my little my little recommendations <laughs> because another oh, thing. Oh, I will. And, and ho- hopefully you can make it, Janet, uh, or at least join us online. Um, so let's let's be in contact about that. And you know, for anybody in in the in the audience who if you, if you can't make it to the Black Power Conference, uh, you can follow. We're going to be streaming it on the Cooperation Jackson website. Uh, we'll also be streaming it on the Cooperation Jackson Facebook page. We're going to have a whole, you know, Twitter thon thing. That's I'm not the, the techie on that level, but uh, some of our young folks who do that thing, uh, uh, they're going to have it up and running. Everybody can follow us and, and engage us. So, uh, if anything, if nothing, Janice at all, I, I hope to see you there, uh, leading some of the dialogue with us. You know, starting on the 16th of June. Okay, Kali, thank you so very much, and right, enjoy your you. family. All right. You see, this is the kind of stuff that I mean when I say that we have to do, this is Black Lives Matter. This is what Black Lives Matter means. We're going to take a short break. Our number is 347-838-9852. We invite your Com, uh, your comments, and uh, we're going to spend the next half hour before we close um, letting you uh, ring in on what's going on in America, people. This is America. We'll be right back. Tuned into our common ground, transforming truth to power. One broadcast at a time. I'm Janice Grant, giving voice to the black truth of America. Our common ground, broadcasting free, whole, and black. Each Saturday, 10 p.m. Show is where we deal with the difficult, real raw, right now. If it's real raw right now, talk media. Come on, baby, say it with me. It can only be the I Declare Show. Talk soon. Join my friend and colleague on Blog Talk Radio every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. The I Declare Show with India Declare. Are you breathing oxygen in? Are you raising the energy up? Or are you bringing the energy down? There's no middle ground. It's your real, raw, and right now talk radio. I Declare Show, Tuesdays, 9 p.m. Blog Talk Radio. I Declare It. Dealing with the difficult, real, raw, right now. 
the I Declare Show, baby. Even though those plans had already been put in place by George W. Bush. But okay, he brought us home. So now you have the guy who took us out of Iraq, taking us into Syria. Uh, you, you have this guy, this president, who, and I ask people this all the time, did you ever think Obama's FBI would prosecute Jesse Jackson Jr., the, the guy who basically stepped aside um, in order to allow Obama to run for senator? Because Jesse Jackson Jr. had his eye on that. Did you ever think, and I'm not saying that, that Jesse Jackson Jr. is, is innocent, I'm not saying any, I'm not even, I'm not even speaking on that, but just speaking on what you thought at the beginning of this administration, did you ever think that this would be the, the administration that added Asada Shakur, Black Panther, back to the FBI's most wanted list? Did you ever think that this would be the administration that allowed banks to get off after systematically targeting the African American community with subprime mortgages and subprime loans to pad AAA rated, um, 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 to pad them as AAA rated derivatives when really they were trash? So when you look at this, when you look at Obama's legacy and Eric Holder's legacy, black people have fallen behind. And you can't, there's no way now in 2014 to make the case that people were making in 2009. The case that people were making in 2009 was you vet, wait and see. You know, if you give this guy some time, he's going to do the right thing. If you let him get reelected and he doesn't have to be reelected again, he's going to do the right thing. And what did we get? We got we got this charity, this My Brother's Keeper, which asked a bunch of white charities to give money to little struggling Negroes. When really and truthfully, if the money should be given from the government. If you want to help black boys, you want to, you should help them from a government. You are the president. The government, this is what you do. Or at least this is what you advocate for. Because this is why I tell people all the time. People say, well, you bet, you know. He couldn't, he couldn't do it. He couldn't make it happen. Well, you know, at least fight the good fight. Like, fight the good fight for me. If you fight the good fight and fail, I will still love you. You will still be my dude because you put it out there. But you don't come. You know, black people in this country have been disenfranchised by government, not by charity. So when you... And now, back to Janice. Back in, we were listening to 
uh, our common ground voice and interlocutor, uh, Yvette Carnell of BreakingBrown.com. And if you do have, if you do not have a subscription to BreakingBrown.com, we ask that you go to BreakingBrown.com and subscribe to her news and commentary feed. Uh, very soon, she and the other, one other Our Common Ground interlocutor, um, Rob, uh, Pascal Robert, will be fe- will be featured in daily commentary on their own production, and we're looking forward to that. I need more intellect, more analysis, more critical thinking. In my talk radio, I don't know about you, but you might enjoy it. Um, on on June fourth, joining us will be Christopher Everett. He is the filmographer who produced and direct Wilmington on Fire, the the eighteen eighty seven massacre of Black people in Wilmington, North Carolina. And while he was, when he began his journey to create this film, he was with us, and we have invited him back to come back now that the film is on tour. And if it's in your community, uh, are coming to your community, be sure that you um, attend. It is well worth your education. And then on June, let me see, what's the next date? So I won't tell you wrong, and you'll be sending me all kind of nasty email on June 11th. Uh, Chauncey DeVega, the social and political observer and blogger, uh, will be with us uh, to talk about the... 2016 presidential election. And we do thank Alpha for joining us last week because Alpha kind of like, you know, like sometimes you have to go to, uh, it's, I would equate it to a mental chiropractor. You have to have your head screwed or moved or your mind and how you think about these things. It's been very, very interesting how the mass media, the mainstream media, has been discussing the notion of who these candidates are as characters and as players. And I am reminded by something that Ruby Sales mentioned to us when she was here with us last, about three or four weeks ago, is that we are a family. We can't get involved, well, this is how I read it, we can't get involved with scraps that white people want to have, where they want to throw chairs or call people cunts or whatever. That's not our business. Our business is trying to build what Kali Akuna has just talked to us about of infrastructure and a mechanism by which we can empower the way we live. A mechanism 
that can help us establish strategies so that we're not seeing black boys and girls laying out in the street or going to jail and never coming out. Or 86-year-old men, no, I I take that back, 58-year-old men who are so desperate because they lost their job, they don't have any money, the rent has to be paid, and the children have to eat. So he took out a loan for $2,500 from a payday lender, and you know the rest of the story. Now, he is facing court action because the $2,500 now is worth a $15,000 debt. And I don't care how anybody thinks about it. I cannot support the leadership of a political party that supports predatory lending where the interest rates are 300 and 500%. And people ask me, well, why would you have, I didn't get the show about Harine Freeman. Because Harine Freeman, who was with us a couple of months ago, is a financial expert. She understands how payday lenders are predators. That's why. Because if if the 58-year-old man who borrowed the $2,500 from the payday, payday lender and ended up owing them $15,000 had heard Harreen Freeman, he may have thought twice about taking out that loan. The other thing that came to mind. I had some crazy thoughts this week because I was I I, I listened I, I needed to go on um moratorium on listening to the news. But all of this nonsense uh about Donald Trump and whether Bernie Sanders is like being compared to Donald Trump and Hillary being the victim of the Bernie Sanders campaign can make a woman mad. I'm talking about mad like you go to the asylum immediately. This is what the mainstream media does. It does it for a particular reason. But you notice they weren't talking about Donald Trump one step plane hit the Indian Ocean or whatever ocean it hit. <laughs> they were, all of a sudden, it all flipped. Donald Trump and his craziness was not so important then. Uh, let's get 24 hours of talking about where is the plane, where is the black box. Oh, there are two black boxes. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, I mean, they switched off so fast. But here is where I'm going. We've got to learn to love each other. We have got to learn that 
we are all in this together, whether you have a job or don't have a job, whether you have a car or don't have a car, whether you have a mortgage or don't have a mortgage. It's We are all in it together. I am just going to say one thing about the Hillary Clinton agenda. I don't know what it is. People are asking me to support Hillary Clinton, and I don't know what her agenda is. I have no idea what public policy initiatives she's going to undertake if she is elected the President of the United States. Now, I know what Donald Trump's going to do. Donald Trump is going to break the bank. That's what he's going to do. He's going to break the bank in more ways than one. Can you imagine the state? And and we don't pay attention to it a lot, but one of the things is very clear. International relations and diplomacy is an important part of our our society. It's important to every one of us. One of the reasons that we have been able to control to the extent that we have ISIS, ISIL, and to not have the people in 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 Palestine just blown off the friggin' planet has to do with diplomatic relationships and has to do with the intricacy of international relationships across the globe. Now, I don't know if you agree with me, but Donald Trump will bring this country to a halt domestically and internationally. You know, the mainstream media is telling us, oh, we'll be the laughing stock of America if he's elected. Last year this time, were we not saying that Donald Trump doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell of being elected the president of the United States or being the nominee of the of the Republican Party? Well, we better walk that back because here we are. And my question is to you at 347-838-9852 is to what extent, now that we know we are the foundation of whoever wins as a people, black people, black voters, yep, us, what do we do with that power? I think I asked this question last week. Um, when Alpha was with us. Our number is 347-838-9852 if you'd like to help me with this with this question. You know this is talk radio, right? <laughs> you know you're supposed to call me, right? <laughs> I have no callers. I have all these people on the board and nobody is calling in. Is it because we don't know where to start? Well, Kali Akuna just gave us a, a, a way a, a way out on that one. Um, while we've been on the air, I've been trying to figure out my schedule about 
how I might get to Jackson somewhere between June 16th and June 19th. Um, and if you have a mind for leadership, you get there on June 16th because that's when the circle of leaders at the beginning of a forum, that's when the circle of leaders begin to form, uh, to form right at the beginning when you're starting to frame the conversations and the directions of the of the priorities and the agenda right at the beginning. So I hope some of you will go uh, to this conference, the Black Power, Black Lives um, and Pan-Africanism Conference. But here's the deal. We cannot get so caught up in the craziness, you know, Hillary Clinton's campaign, they want to be the victims. And so any little slight of hand they take to go after the Bernie people. We have to consider that whatever craziness went on in Nevada, that maybe that's a revolution. We had a revolution coming, and when people are that angry, when you have Bernie or bust, loads of people who are saying, I don't care what happens, I'm not voting for Hillary Clinton. And and these are Democrats and progressives. And you have loads of people saying, um, telling the truth about Hillary Clinton and her history. Right up in your face truth. And then you have people who are saying, I'm voting for for Donald Trump for whatever reason they have. Folks, maybe this is the revolution. Maybe this is the crest of the revolution and change is about to come because one of the things that I do know about me is that somebody's got to break the back of establishment politics in this country establishment government in this country. We cannot afford to reform some of this stuff because some of this stuff cannot be reformed. We have to be in the mind of transformation. And some and, and there are some public policies, there's some, some political mechanisms that that simply mean, need to be destroyed. Superdelegates is one of them. How they run these conventions is another one of them. And if, in fact, black people are going to be the determinant for who wins in 2016, I'm not understanding why they are not the leadership of the Democratic Party. Because I think Debbie Schultzman and and Ron Emanuel – and all those people, I have to, I have to throw in Jesse Jackson Sr. I have to throw in um, John Lewis. Time for a reckoning. We're going to go to our phones. Three one two, you're on the air. Thank you very much for joining us. Three one two. Hey House, good hey, to hear from you. You know, um, thanks for taking the call, and you just. Uh, um, you you took my answer and you asked about six more questions um, that I don't have any answers for, but I'm glad you asked them. 
and I hope they get asked more and more. Um, and yeah, maybe this is <clears throat> this is the reckoning, and this is the this is the revolution that you're about to see. Um, because what I yeah, hear I, I find about, it ironic that in our community, mm-hmm. people who have been talking about revolution for friggin' twenty five years, that they see a ruckus and don't understand that these are the rumblings of the change. Mm-hmm. People are Even not going to take it anymore. What was the first thing the, the, the man who quit his broadcasting job and, and went to the window and says, I'm not going to take it anymore? What, what was the first thing he did, House, before he went to the window? He threw that, that, a friggin' that, uh, chair. Threw a chair, the network movie, right. Yeah, in network. That's the name of it. Mm-hmm. You know, network, and yeah. I'm saying that winter is coming and the night is full of terror. <laughs> I'm a throner, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and even the unsullied are rising up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be really interesting. Um, it really is. Look, in 2012, the re-election for Barack Romney, um, I was still voting in Florida, and I was so upset with the previous four years, but knowing I couldn't vote for Romney, I didn't have the heart to vote for Barack. So I voted Green Party, and that was my protest vote, protest vote in Florida with the chance of uh, Barack losing Florida, but I couldn't do it. And well, you know, there's this thing there, there's this thing called the down ballot. So when you mm-hmm. walk into the when you walk into a primary, down ballot doesn't doesn't you I mean you ask for a green ballot and and all you get and you get all the Democratic and Republican um uh, uh candidates. But you right. go into the general election and you ask for a green ballot, all you get is green candidates. On that ballot. Green ballot. Mm-hmm. So you know, and the other other part of it is, yeah, the Green Party is, for me, the Green Party has some agenda items that that for which I can support. But mm-hmm. the Green Party also has not spoken to the issues that are important to me. Where the hell was the Green Party in Flint, Michigan? Where the hell is the Green Party in Detroit? Where the hell is the Green Party in Chicago? Where the hell was the Green Party in Ferguson and and, and St. Louis and Baltimore? Mm-hmm. Get out of here. And, and you want you want to tell people that you should be my altern my 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 alternative? I don't think so. The um, the one time I think it was Bruce Dixon I spoke to you on your uh, show years ago, um, uh-huh. or or Glenn Ford. I can't remember which one. I asked him, um, why don't they just do what uh, uh, the Libertarians did and take over and go into the, the Democratic Party as opposed to uh, worrying about drumming up or bringing up their own party. Because that's what they did, and that's all we're looking at—a libertarian, you know, John Birch Society. They—they all—that's mm-hmm. what Don, mm-hmm. Donald Trump and uh, have the Speaker of the House he is. What's his face? That—that's all they are. And um, you know, he just said that 
they, they, they can't do it. They're so diametrically opposed to the Democratic Party, blah, blah, blah. But they have the infrastructure, um, the infrastructure that the Green Party is not going to have within the next 100 years. And without doing that, you know, they're really going to be strapped. But in, in terms you, you, you of where points. we are, in terms of where we are as a class of voters, black voters have the ability to jack the DNC the hell up. You know, it's, it, it's simple. I, I try to bring things down to simple things. Mm-hmm. If you're at a party and they run out of wine or whatever, and two people say, oh, come go with me. One doesn't have any money and the other one does. Who are you going to go with? Well, the one with the money. So you can buy some more wine, right? And keep right. partying. Yeah. I, right. I, 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 yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that, you know, that's where I go with it. <laughs> but, <clears throat> I mean, if, even you take your own old hometown, um, the Democratic, Nash, uh, Florida Democratic Party, and mm-hmm. I have to disclose, I was a consultant for the um, Florida Democratic Party, Democratic mm-hmm. Florida Party, Florida, whatever it is, up in Tallahassee. And mm-hmm. one of the things is that the Democratic Party spends a lot of money, but they on in the black community, on a get out to vote effort. They mm-hmm. spend hardly no money on putting together the state platform. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that black people need to do, if you know, if you say you. Don't vote for Hillary, or you—you you know Hillary's your woman. Um, is they—they they need to concentrate more on the platform and say, you know, either we get in on the power of the platform, or we don't get in at all. And the Democratic National Com- Committee knows that they can't afford that. But I, I tell you one thing. I am not house. I don't know about you. I'm not looking forward to to four years of um, Hillary screeching. Good God, that woman screeches. Stop yelling, mm-hmm. my lord! And and the thing yeah. is, she's trying to she's trying to have a style. You know, it's like it's like white dancing. You know, white people dance and they think they're really getting it. Hillary really thinks mm-hmm. she's getting the stride. <laughs> please, just be, just please be, just just be yourself. Mm-hmm. And I, I think agree. that we can. I think that I am. What I am hoping will happen between now and the general election is that Bernie Sanders and uh, Elizabeth Warren will get together with Hillary and say, you want our people? Here's the deal. Hmm. You want our money? Cause, because Bernie's going to have a lot of money left over. You need some hmm. money? Here's the deal. And I'm Wait, not that, that hearing... A, what? I'm sorry, there was just a story uh, I read last night that... Bernie's running out of money. I didn't believe it, but 
No, no. See, see, that's another thing. That's another thing that's going on here. Dirty politics are going on all around this thing. I do not Mm -hmm. believe for any minute that people who are organized to support Bernie Sanders in an authentic way are the people who are creating all of this chaos and craziness. Right. I don't believe that for outside, a minute. Outside agitators, absolutely. I'm with you on that one. I, I think that I think that that is where Donald Trump's money is going, and I think that's where some of Hillary's money is going. And you know, I heard a conversation, and I'm going to have to get out of here. But I, I heard a conversation that was very interesting about the possibility of a Hillary. Um, and Elizabeth Warren uh, ticket, that is not going to happen. First of all, Massachusetts has a Republican governor, Charlie Baker. Mm-hmm. And believe me, I dislike this man so much that I have no idea what he's doing. <laughs> I, just, I just don't want to. He, he is the former CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield. Um. <laughs> Uh, of of Massachusetts Um, But that's not going to happen Because Charlie Baker Would hold up the election With a Republican appointment Until January Mm. The other is That There is such a divergence Between Elizabeth Warren and Hillary that she would never agree to it. And the other is that the whole sexism thing and ageism thing would come into play with with, with that ticket. So it's not going to happen, and people need to get over it. House, it was good uh, hearing from you. You, um, I thank you for your listenership. You people need to start calling in here. This is talk radio. I'm going to quit this crap if if I have to talk to myself all the time. And House, as usual, you always call in the last 15 minutes. Your record, you are on record for years. <laughs> I'm consistent, okay? I'm consistent. Yeah, you are. Thanks a lot for <laughs> your call. For call. Good comments. Um, and, um, I'm sorry, 773, you know, I love you, but, um, I, I like to give people, I mean, you, do you ever listen to, to talk radio shows where people get two seconds to say what they have to say? Who the hell can say what they have to say with all these important issues? This is black talk radio. Black people need to talk. We're going to talk some more next week about this whole idea of ancestral imperative. Your ancestors are watching you. I'm Janice Graham. And next Saturday night, we hope you'll join us with Dr. Tommy J. Curry talking about black men and boys. Um, certainly an issue with with my... I have grand princes. The first boys in our family in a generation. You have a good weekend, a good Saturday. We'll see you next week. Uh, it's a tremendous story of our people. Uh, you talked about Mega Evers, uh, but the continuation since Mega Evers, 
uh, fighting against oppression, fighting against economic oppression, fighting against the kinds of things which have surfaced in our decades, uh, which are similar to the kinds of things you cite in the distant history of Jackson. Uh, we have been persistent, uh, and with that persistency, our people now are ready to move to a different level of development. Uh, and I should say that people should take a note of Jackson, uh, because we have suffered some of the worst kinds of abuses in history, uh, but we're about to make some uh, advances and some uh, strides in the development of human rights in the Thank you for being with us here on Our Common Ground tonight. Join us next Saturday when we are in session with Dr. Tommy J. Curry talking about a deadly silence, black men and boys. I'm Janice Grant. Next Saturday, 10 p.m. on Our Common Ground. I'll be listening for you. <laughs>